Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Off Air with Jane and Fee is brought to you by British Heart Foundation. British Heart Foundation have estimated that up to 7.6 million people are living with heart and circulatory diseases in the UK. And there is something we can all do to help fund life-saving research. And don't worry, Fee, we don't all need to run marathons to fundraise today. Over 50% of their research is funded by gifts in wills. Now, these are really vital in supporting life-saving research. It's such a remarkably positive thing we can all do and definitely something to consider if you are writing your will or thinking of updating it. With a simple act, you can support future scientific breakthroughs that could help save and improve millions of lives. British Heart Foundation offers a free will guide and free will writing services too, helping to make the process as easy as possible. To download your free will guide today and help British Heart Foundation fund life-saving research, search BHF Wills. level of spice that is not pleasurable for me mm. it's like you know I'm, i wouldn't be into s&m and i'm not into <laughs> does <laughs> that involve a lot of chili sauce well, i don't know i think so in some extreme examples <laughs> it might um no i'm not into extremes full no. no i am um, well as discussed this week um you know i sort of approached oh, my eyes stu- i approach yeah. things with sort of an, far too much enthusiasm sometimes mm. And I was in Mexico with my parents a few years ago and we just went down to a just very local little Mexican restaurant and, you know, we're sitting down ordering food and drinks and they so they brought some little salsas and some little chips and I dug one of the chips into, in the, green, into the green salsa with gusto and? and then my tongue swelled up so much I couldn't speak for about 10 minutes. My dad was encouraging me to have a lot more of that green salsa. It was... Honestly, the he enjoyed the peace thing. and quiet. He really liked the peace and quiet. Yeah. yeah, and we're talking about this because I was talking about hot sauce and chicken wings on the Times Radio. Not just today. talking about it. Well, I mean, I'm so brave that I even tried some chicken wings, and I was being all butch and yeah, this doesn't really get to me. This guy, I can do spice, and then all of a sudden, I, I couldn't do spice anymore. <laughs> I, I Live on air. I couldn't do this spice, and I had to have a cup of milk. <laughs> When's <laughs> the was, last time you had a cup of milk? Actually, it was some time ago. Because let's face it, most of us get to a certain age, you don't. Don't drink cups of milk. No, do you? It's no. Quite claggy. Was it? Was it one of those slow burn that, that sort of Im- immediately yeah, you thought was, was okay, and then was, suddenly the initial your taste head was exploding. I felt okay, and then all the tingling started. Mm. Mm. Somebody also told me that different chilies from different parts of the world affect you differently. So people from Mexico who've grown up with those certain chilies. Mm. Uh, find them less hot than perhaps an Indian chilli if they're not used to those. I don't know if that's true. Perhaps the listener knows. Oh, I'm sure a listener will If know. there's a doctor of chilli out there, yeah. please yeah. let us know. A doctor of chilli. 
Yeah, the, that's bound to be. Somebody's mm. done a PhD on... In fact, there's definitely going to be PhDs done Absolutely. on chilies. Yeah. yeah. In well, fact, that, a friend of mine wrote a book about hot sauce. I should just ask him. Really? Yeah, a whole book about hot sauce. What was the title of the book? Let's give it some publicity. Hot Sauce Nation by Denver Nix. There we are. Rush out now for the ultimate Christmas stocking <laughs> filler for the person in your life who likes sauce. It's not a hefty volume. No, but, but it'd be just the job. But a great read. Right. Um, now, we were talking about the full moon and unsurprisingly... <laughs> There have been some emails on the subject. There have been. And did you, because you were going, this yes. is Jane Mulcairins and Jane Garvey, by the way. I'm Garvey, she's Mulcairins. I think I once said that we could be a county Mayo detective agency. Yeah. And we probably could. But we're not. We're currently working at Times Radio. <laughs> exactly. You were going last night to swim in the sea? Yes. Did it actually happen? It did happen. So I was a little bit delayed because for the first time in my new life, commuting to Brighton, oh. I got stuck. Stranded at three bridges for about 45 minutes, which is unfortunate. Can I just then, say, that should be the title of a novel. <laughs> or a slightly turgid epic poem. <laughs> Stranded at three bridges. That's an obscure station, isn't it? I've been It's very it. obscure. Yeah. And, and it's got a depot nearby, so all of these trains were going past, but just not but letting any people on. <laughs> right, OK. But um, I will, next time I'm stranded there, I'm going to write that poem. Okay, and then I'll that. come and do some live poetry for you. So you got there so in got, the end. So I got, anyway, yeah, I got home in the end. And... Um, was straight straight into my cosy yeah. in the sea by nine o'clock. Right. Um, it was very dark and quite rough. Could you see the moon? Uh, oh gosh, the moon was enormous. Um, I've actually given some content to our producers here. Of pictures of the moon and a video of me howling. And will it be available? I'm publicly? not sure. I'm not sure if it'll be available. It's, uh, Kate's giving oh, us the okay. nod, so it's Maybe obviously it be got available. past the Times Tower censors yeah. and has been deemed suitable. Yeah, uh, Don't was... blame me if it causes offence <laughs> in your household. It was... Um, my friend came with me. I definitely wouldn't have got in on my own, but it was it was very dark and very rough, so we didn't stay in too long. But um, we got we dunked, we held at the moon, and then we went and ate some chips. Lovely. Sounds good. It was good. great. Very restorative. Right. Um, well, um, it is interesting that we st- we talked yesterday about the moon having an impact on people. Yeah. And not, not always in a good way. Um, Lynn says, uh, my mother had dementia and had episodes of wondering when the moon was full. Mum could no longer tell the time, even with the aid of a speaking clock one lovely sister gave her. We suspect a full moon made it look as bright as day to her, so she'd set out for her favourite activity, a walk. Fortunately, she didn't really make it beyond the grounds and soon moved to a much more secure place with lovely, attentive staff. Uh, When our children had a particular teen visitor... (laughs) (laughs) They would go outside and howl at the full moon. Part of the attraction was setting the local dogs off howling (laughs) and they could hear the howls spreading up the valley. Cue puzzled neighbours discussing what had set the dogs off the night before. Now I've remembered I may try it with the blue and super moon tonight. I'm in my 70s, so can I claim a second childhood? That's from Lynn. Um, Definitely Lynn. I think think you probably can, Lynn, but I don't understand what you mean by when our children had a particular teen visitor, they would go outside and howl at the full moon. What was happening there? I think we need more, Lynn. Yeah, I mean, I could could hazard a guess at um, post-pubescent teenage girls, perhaps. Periods? Yeah. Oh, But maybe, I don't know. I don't think we need to be coy about menstruation on this podcast, Jane. No, we talked about 
lifts and pelvic floors the other yeah, day, didn't no, we? Yeah, we did. Um, yeah. Just very briefly, Lynn goes on to say, I'm a Kiwi, um, so I was listening to Maggie Alfonsi yesterday. Uh, rugby is the national sport, but I'm not a fan, especially now we see former players developing early-onset dementia. Until they adjust the rules to prevent concussions, I won't be watching any games, even when the amazing, agile women are playing. But I secretly harbour a hope that a Pacific Island team or Ireland win the cup. Um, Lynn, thank you for that. I hope you enjoy the Men's World Cup, as we now call events that don't, <laughs> don't feature women. No, I'm, I'm really thrilled to be a part of that. I'm going to be very pedantic and constantly refer to it as the Men's oh, sorry, World Cup. Oh, sorry, which World Cup? Oh, the Men's Men. World oh, Cup. The, oh, the Men's, Men's World, World Cup. Cup. Didn't know which one you were talking about. But you see, for years and years, we just bought into the notion that anything was just, it was just the World Cup. Unless it was otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And now I've realised how stupid I was for years. So yeah. we do need to say it. Yeah. I just want to say about Lynn's point there at the end about head injuries and yeah. early onset dementia because we had, oh, I'm going to forget his surname, Steve, the wonderful rugby player who has got early onset dementia. Oh, Thompson. Thompson, yeah. thank you. Um, oh, the most moving interview yeah. with him in the magazine last yeah. year. And it's absolutely tragic. And... I am also very concerned about yeah. head injuries in rugby. And it's hard because I, I've got friends whose teenage sons are yeah. excellent rugby players. And I, but I don't know if I had a teenage son how happy I would be about them playing rugby. I know that they're, they're going to great lengths now to try and avoid them and you can't tackle high and things like that. But when you look at the effect it's had on, on people like Steve Thompson who can't remember his children's birth... Mm. <sighs> And he won, the, he won the Rugby World Cup, yeah. didn't he? He was part of that team. Yeah. yeah, it is really sad. I know Maggie Alfonsi, who was our guest yesterday, did say that she would let her children play. Uh, but yes, she's hyper aware mm. of the uh, danger of concussion and head injuries. And the game, we are told, is doing its very best to improve things. But I guess without some of that physicality, then it's not, it's not the same no. game. And I don't get the appeal in terms of playing it at all, but that clearly is part of the appeal. Mm. And it's very difficult to see how they can keep that spirit of the game and make it safer. Perhaps yeah. they can. I, I mean, same can. with American football in yeah, the US. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's such a physical game, yeah. but it's such a lot of head injuries. Mm. Um, can I just pat us on the back a little bit from yes. a listener who's Don't saying, get enough of that. We don't get enough. Who is telling Jane and Jane to stop talking? Who is that? Who is that? Well, well I'll tell you exactly Yeah, we can send you names after. Um, I love their epic chat yesterday. This is what we love. I love the big chat at the beginning. It's the best bit. Thank you, Mel. Mel also says, I'm a Labour voter, but I love Rory Stewart. Alistair and Rory are the male version of Jane and Fee on the pods, and I adore them. But especially Rory, he is lush. Um, lush. Mel, I would like to direct you. I love the word lush. Yes, He's do lush. direct her. I, I would know like what you're to direct say. you to last Saturday's Times magazine. And it's still on the website mm -hmm. and the app where you can read a cracking interview by Janice Turner with Rory Stewart. Um, it's, it did phenomenally well on the Times website. I bet it did because that it's, podcast does really it, well. It's, I mean, it, it's such a clever concept, isn't it? But such a simple one to take two people from... Two men. Two men from opposite... Two white men. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, oh, right. It's not a clever concept at all. It's the oldest concept in the book. But <laughs> yes. the fact that they don't agree <laughs> with each it. other... Well, the end. Of, that's the problem. I think Hadley Freeman a couple of weeks ago in the Sunday Times said they were basically centrist dads, and they are, <laughs> and they do actually agree with each other quite a lot. So, um, however, however, Mel, I will just say in in this piece there is a wonderful picture that you'll probably think is very lush. Uh, that made me giggle of Rory Stewart dressed as Lawrence of Arabia yeah. walking across Afghanistan. Now, I'm not saying 
Roy hasn't done a lot of very wonderful things uh, for people and with his charity and mm. in service, but um, the picture of him in the little hat made me giggle a bit. Yes, it also made me giggle. Have you heard Rory Stewart talking about the interview in this week's The Rest oh, is Oh, no, politics? I haven't. Yeah, well, he does. So I, I'll just point you in that direction because I think he feels it was the bit where Janice Turner um, gets him to talk about his relationship with Alistair Campbell. And actually, it turns out they don't know each other all that They've only well. met once. Yeah, once. exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, he talked about possibly having a kind of daddy type Daddy, daddy issues. Daddy issues. It was all <laughs> slightly odd. But I, um, I'm i interested in Janice's take that perhaps Rory isn't as interested in women and in the opinions of women as he should be. Mm-hmm. And look, I do listen to their podcast. Mm-hmm. I need to be absolutely honest about that. I think I've listened to almost almost all of them, not perhaps not all of them. Um, and I find it very compelling. I also find it profoundly irritating yeah. because I often think they do completely miss a female perspective yeah. and they don't even know they're missing it mm. because they've never really been called out on it. Mm. So well, anyway, they have now. Well, yes, they have now. Thank you, Janice Turner. And Rory Stewart is coming on our programme <laughs> in a couple of weeks' time. And I'm look, look I am looking forward to it because, as I say, you know, I've listened to his stuff. He won't be unaware of women's opinions after that. Fee and I don't have opinions. <laughs> Not really. Uh, Misdemeanours by Moonlight. This is from Katrina. Dear Jane and Jane, photographing the night sky is frustrating in light polluted London, but this evening my husband and I just had to stroll across the road from our holiday cottage in Somerset to get a great view of the blood orange supermoon rising over a valley. We went back out for more photos once it was completely dark, and we were just finishing when I became aware of a couple on the neighbouring farm talking about strange lights and movement. As we returned to our cottage, we looked about nervously as it was pitch black by then. It wasn't until we were safely back inside that I realised two things simultaneously. Firstly, the couple armed with torches were now conducting a full search of their own farm for the source of the lights. (laughs) And secondly, we were the source of the lights. (laughs) The guilty party. The LCD screens on our cameras and phones were on stargazing night vision mode, which gave off a red glow. I wanted to apologise, but my husband felt things may not go well if we materialised out of the darkness, wittering on about the full moon at this late stage in the game. I therefore spent a further ten minutes peering out of a dark window, mortified, while the couple did a full and obviously completely unnecessary audit of the contents of two vans, a small farm vehicle and a car, before concluding that they had no malevolent visitors, human or otherwise. If the couple do listen to this podcast, this is our belated confession and apology. If they don't, then stories of unexplained full moon happenings may start circulating in Somerset, particularly as to keep warm, I was wearing on top of normal clothes my husband's oversized hoodie, a blanket and a poncho repurposed as a headscarf. Retrospectively, I realise I may have resembled a yeti. Uh, Katrina, thank you for that wonderfully written and very interesting email. So, she's a sort of new beast of Bodmin. Yes, yeah, she is. She's one yeah, of those that's my Cornwall, not big, Somerset. Big cats. Yeah. The Yeti of Somerset. Yeah. So, thank you for that. That sounds great. And it is, it is a very British set of circumstances that you know you've caused a kerfuffle, you're watching the resulting kerfuffle take place, and you have no idea how best to resolve the situation. So you say nothing. Just hide. Turn fine. all the lights off. Absolutely fine, by the way, <laughs> Katrina. You dealt with it brilliantly. <laughs> no better way. Um, this is from this is about rugby, again, back to rugby, uh, from Claire, saying, love the podcast, listen from day one, but very disappointed in your interview yesterday with Maggie. 
Are Wales and Scotland not worth a mention? Both teams are also in the World Cup. It's reasons for this that some Scots and Welsh people find it difficult to support an English team. Also, she says, class is distinctly an English issue and not the same in all nations. Mm. And in Wales, rugby is a working class sport. That's interesting. Yeah, there, there definitely is a difference. And mm. I should have said, and I'd like to apologise. I should have said that. I got something wrong. Um, it is. They're not angry, they're just disappointed, Jane. Well, yeah. And you were saying earlier today that <laughs> your mum and dad teachers, so they've done a lot of that. We're not angry, we're disappointed. Yeah. Did I, was I giving you the look then? Yeah, I was. I did practice that look for the first 18 years did of you, my life. Did you ever think of teaching? Um, yeah, quickly dismissed it. Mm. Uh, I did used to spend my summers were teaching uh, English language students in Brighton, actually. So my brother was a student at Sussex, so he used to live in his flat and teach naughty Italian boys and extremely linguistically able Scandinavian girls English. Um, I don't think they learned anything from me but swear words and where to go underage clubbing, I think. Right. I was an absolutely terrible teacher. That's probably We enough, had a really though. good time, though. Yeah, how do you teach? I mean, I have no idea. How would you go? Were you qualified as a... Oh, no. Just a keen amateur. Yeah, just someone who could sort of do a bit of crowd control and then take right. them bowling in the afternoon. So what was lesson one in the Mulcairin's term of oh, English gosh, language I I teaching? Remember. I mean, we did have a sort of a syllabus. Right. But I think I probably just asked them things, whatever they wanted to learn. I see. Um, yeah, it was conversational. They were in Brighton for a couple of weeks to snog each other and do a bit of like shoplifting mainly. Mm. Oh, now listen, that is a little bit of a cliche. Oh, no. But, but it's funny you mentioned oh, no. shoplifting because I was about to suggest... <laughs> That's something that we used to associate with school exchange students. I mean, it's quite wrong. It's an appalling. Xenophobic. It's evidence based, Jane. I can tell you how many times yeah, there, was, well, there were complaints about the shoplifting. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, is Brighton still a noted hotspot for that kind of thing? For language students, yes. I yes. can't speak to the shoplifting. No, it's a it's a fabulous student city, though, yeah. isn't it? I've got one of my daughter's friends went to. So in fact, I know a couple of students have had such a good time at Sussex. But the uni campus is. Is it out of town? In Falmouth. So there's two universities, actually, oh, which is there? why there's so many students. There's Brighton University, which historically has sort of more arts and photography and sort of creative stuff, and then right. Sussex, yeah. which is on the campus out in Falmouth now, beside the new Brighton and Hove Albion Stadium. Oh, yeah. Um, Brighton are a good brilliant. team. Brighton are a very good team. Yeah. I'm hoping to go and see them next month. Oh, wow. Oh, you're really becoming... Oh, yeah. uh, digging uh, in. Yeah, and is there some... So I have... I've been to Brighton a few times. I, um, I've had some good nights in Brighton, but... Is it, what is it? Do you wake up to the sound of the seabirds now? What's what's your, when you wake up in the morning, do you have that kind of, I know I've made the right move here? It, where, oddly enough, the positioning of my flat, I don't hear seagulls in the morning. What? Which, I know, I should ask for my money back, or at least my deposit back. Yeah, yeah I don't have seagulls. Uh, if I was to move slightly down the street, I'd hear the seagulls. But mm. yeah, it's it's incredibly quiet. When I wake up, I hear absolutely nothing. Except the other morning, the beeping of my fridge at 3.30 in the morning. What was the problem? Is, oh, my friend was staying and she'd left the door open. Oh, silly yeah. woman. God's <laughs> sake. Well, I'm saying it's a woman. I've got no idea. <laughs> it uh, was a woman. It, it, but that had nothing to do with her leaving the door open. Okay. Um, no, but no, it's very peaceful. It's I, It's been transformative in terms of sleeping from West London and a main road. Genuinely. Mm, yeah. Genuinely. Okay, my road in West London is actually quite quiet overnight. You know the thing that wakes me up, I've just realised, it's about 10 to 5 in the morning. I've been waking up at that time now for about a year. Mm. Couldn't work out why. And then it dawned on me, it's the flaming times arriving and being <laughs> thrown up my path uh, by somebody. I saw them once. It's, it's somebody in a, in a, they just open the door and just bung it. And sometimes it lands right on the step. 
At other times, it's nearer the nearer the road. It's, it's quite extraordinary, but it wakes me up without fail. Would you like me to have morning. a word with your delivery people? Because obviously we do have a direct line to every paper boy and girl <laughs> in the land. God, Just okay. do it a bit more quietly. Yeah, well, they, I didn't, since Place when were, it on the since door. Since when were papers oh, delivered by cars? Since when were papers delivered? Well, if you get a subscription to the Times, Jane, as you I, must be aware, you do get your paper delivered. I've gone digital, Jane. Yeah, I've got digital and the real thing. Okay, fair yeah. enough. I'm still a complete Luddite. This is actually it's a good chance for me to mention the fact that my dad will be 90 oh. on uh, Saturday. On Saturday, so he won't be listening. He's never listened. Uh, <laughs> but happy birthday to him! And I was just looking up um, some of the stuff he's lived through. And I mean, it is, it goes without saying, but it is an astonishing amount of time to have been alive. It really is. I'm not sure he completely gets it, if I'm honest, that he appreciates just what a length of chunk of time he's lived through. Especially these 90 years. These, I mean, maybe everyone feels yeah, that I mean, about. You know, a pandemic, yeah. a world war, uh, four British monarchs. I did yeah. all the calculations. And do you know who was prime minister on the day he was born? I don't, sadly. Ramsay MacDonald. Oh. Which just, I mean, the name Gosh. means quite literally almost nothing to most people yeah. now. Um, yeah, it is extraordinary. So that anyway. would be 1933? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. A phenomenal. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. And so how are you celebrating? Oh, very monumental. My dad is one of these people, like a lot of people, a bit like me, actually. He doesn't want much fuss. But on the other hand, much worse than that would be no fuss at all. <laughs> it's that a fine would, line. That, it is a very <laughs> fine line. And I'm very keenly aware that I have more in common with him around things like this than I might care to admit. What, what so, was the story that you told about his 21st that oh made God. me... I, and you just said, whatever you do, it, it will never be that bad. Well, unfortunately for my dad, he did national service. He just finished national service on his 21st birthday. Wow. He came out back home uh, to the place where he... Pretty much the place where he still lives, very, very close to where he now lives. And um, he didn't have any friends because all his mates were either... They'd left oh, the area, gosh. or they were doing national service yeah. themselves. So he spent his twenty-first with his mum and dad, and his mum's best friend and her daughter. Oh, which, but it wasn't much of a gathering. No. I don't think the daughter particularly wanted to be there, and uh, and who can blame her? By the way, uh, I think they were trying to get them together, but that wasn't for a multitude of reasons was never going to happen. And uh, yeah, all tremendously awkward, very dull. And so whatever happens this weekend, it's unlikely to be any worse. No, it's going to be a rage by comparison, no yeah. matter what. And you this do. is just the start. We've got another one on the sixteenth, as my dad says. If I'm still here, <laughs> he takes nothing for granted. And of course you shouldn't. And he, he knows, I think, deep down how fortunate he's been. It's no no mean achievement to get to 90. Achievement. But I like that he's having a birthday month. Yes, very much at so. least. Yes, he has got another event squeezed in between the two family ones. So, yeah, he's not doing badly. So our guest today was a property. I've just, do you mind, I'm wonderful the way I've just done that. That's professionalism, isn't it? I just veered completely away. I'm just from... watching and learning, Jane. <laughs> Are you? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't learn that much. <laughs> Um, our guest this afternoon on the show was Sarah Beanie, Channel 4 property queen. She's made a whole string of property shows. But it turns out that there's a lot more to her than that, actually. She's written a book called The Simple Life, which is a kind of Beanie manifesto. And as this conversation proves, she's actually quite a political person. She's somebody who's interested in, uh, certainly in the future of housing and housing policy. And she's just got through breast cancer. And so she, actually going back to living a long time, she is most interesting because her mum died when she was only 10 and as she describes in this interview it has an impact on your attitude to life so she's been treated brilliantly well by the NHS but she does have a few opinions on how things maybe 
could be improved within the National Health Service. So it was a great pleasure to talk to Sarah Beanie and here she is. Hello. How are you, Sarah? <laughs> very well. Thank you very much indeed. Good. Yes. Now, um, we are we are going to focus solely on your health, but you have had breast cancer. Yes. Six months treatment stopped. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. I was diagnosed almost a year ago, actually, just over a year ago. And then um, I had six months of treatment and, and yeah, and now I'm not. Okay, uh, having treatment, but which we, is great. I'm sure it is, and we will talk about it, but it's mm-hmm. not going to be exclusively about that because you are, well, you've got more to offer than that for a start and you don't want to be defined by it, so there's loads of other stuff to talk about. So. Yes. Um, first of all, I mean, you are known as a kind of property guru. Um, you're all over Channel 4. Your new book is called The Simple Life and you've hosted programmes like Property Ladder and New Life in the Country and you make the whole business of moving seem like larks Uh, when I was saying earlier that for me it is truly an experience I've only ever done it three or four times in my life I have no desire to do it again why are you so addicted to this well I I suppose I'm actually I'm terrible at moving is the truth of it I I don't like moving but this so the book out today the book that's out today is is a, a journey of my life through moving but I also have had various businesses. One of them is a development company and an investment company, and I didn't live in those properties. They were right. just creating homes for other people. But this, uh, we, and I've had various other businesses, but as I say, you can't put everything in one book. So this is a, a journey of my homes, but I actually haven't had that many homes in the big scheme of things. Um and it sort of starts when I did buy my first home at 19. So I guess I've been around a long time. Yeah, and that, that really interested me because you were very, very young. Well, I didn't think I was at the time. No, I thought not. I was terribly old at the time. Right. But actually looking back on it, you know, my husband was 18. He wasn't my husband then, he was my boyfriend. But he was 18, I was 19. And we bought it with my brother, who was a couple of years older. And um, and I just thought that was entirely normal way to behave. And, and looking back now, I mean, my eldest son is now 19. Yeah. And I look at him and think, gosh, I mean, he's... He can hardly put the washing machine on, let alone buy a flat. You know, actually, that's not true. Billy's amazing. He's brilliant. He's good at lots of things, but <clears throat> probably not. You know, like he can. Well, he has a, a rock band with his brothers. He can write music. I couldn't do that. Yeah, and he can perform, and I couldn't do that. But he, I don't think he could buy a flat. No, not that guy. <laughs> and was it was it important to you to put down roots and, and do something really quite grown up at what is actually a very young age? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the whole concept of home I found really interesting and and it had a call for me, home. And and I understood buildings because I'd been around building sites all my life because my dad was an architect, I'd seen buildings. So it, it kind of made sense in terms of, you know, stru- a structure. But, you know, I guess... I, I guess the thought that you feel really welcome somewhere and anyone you want also feels welcome mm. there and they you never don't feel welcome there that real sense of belonging where where you know that that you're it's not safe as much as completely welcome and there's no sense that anyone can ever make you feel unwelcome there that that's kind of fascinating to me yeah. um personally but but also i have made a career out of it and created because i think if you have a a home that functions really well, actually, you know, I haven't had homes that had functioned very well, but I've created them lots for other people. And it's much easier to live and life is easier if you, you know everything sort of makes sense. 
When do you go to a new property, a friend, a new friend's house, for mm. example, what do you look out for? Because I'd be petrified, frankly, to have you round because <laughs> I'd be thinking this woman's making judgments all over the place. Well, weirdly, I, I don't actually make any judgment. I, I, I notice a feeling more than... Do you? Okay. I mean, occasionally I'll turn up at someone's house and just think, well, that is a really clever way to do that door or what a brilliant, clever thing there. But... Largely, it's about how you feel when you go in someone's house. I mean, have you ever been... I always think it's ironic, isn't it? Because we we do our homes up and we think that's good. But who are we doing it for? Because have you ever been to someone's house and say it's been a bit rough around the edges mm. and they've given you a glass of wine and said, hey, wake yourself at home. Have you ever thought, mm, no, it's a bit messy on the sideboard. Yeah, I don't think I'll linger. No. And yeah. you don't. In fact, the ones you don't want to linger are the ones who are like, you know, vacuuming behind you going, oh, look, you've put some dust on the floor. Those are the ones you want to get out. The ones who've got chickens on the worktop. You're like, well, the yeah. best the best places are where you're <clears throat> offered a drink of some kind <clears throat> within a moment or two of arriving. Absolutely. And it's Absolutely. when you're not offered any sort of beverage or alcohol that I yeah. start to worry. Yeah, I mean, I, a little bit... I'm, in this, we're hitting on a cultural thing here, and that's absolutely reasonable for anyone who does do shoes off. But, but you know, when they say, could you just go back outside and take your shoes off, and then can you come in and stand and don't don't crease the cushions? Yeah. And then you're kind of like, oh, God. Um, I can't imagine that you do operate a shoes off household. No, it's not no, really I, practical. I, no, I always say you'll get your socks dirty if you take your shoes off. <laughs> I've never operated a shoes off household either. No. I think it's a bit unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, it's very clean, and I respect anyone who's culturally that's their, their thing. But yes, I happen not to. What about um, the situation we find ourselves in now? Because it was actually in the news earlier this week when there's, we know we have a desperate shortage of housing. We also have a lot of people in the country who feel very passionate about protecting the environment. And it looks as though it might be difficult to build the new houses we desperately need and protect the environment at the same time. Yes, well, there's a, oh, that's a big subject. Let's yeah. get going. Mm, well, <laughs> yes, over right. to you. Yes. Um, so I, I would argue... And this isn't particularly politically um, popular. I don't think we necessarily have a shortage of housing because if we had a shortage of housing, when you Googled house for sale or house to rent, there would be nothing there um, and you wouldn't find one because that's mm. what happens when you have a shortage. What we have is a shortage of affordable housing yeah, okay. and affordable rental uh, properties. And then we have to open the subject of, you know, where's our social housing? What's it for? What's the purpose of it? Was it right to to sell it off, privatise social housing, which is what we did with right to buy? It was, mm. was that right to privatise it or not? You know, um, question mark over to a conversation we've never actually day. solved that have we um no well i think you have to get a bit further back to kind of like solve that because no we have to, yeah no we have we have to say what is is social housing a little tiny gap to like plug a, a gap between one uh, you know a disaster happening and then moving on is mm -hmm. it like a three month four month window gap or is it permanent housing for for all our key workers? And in which case, is that because private housing is too expensive mm. to rent? Arguably, yes. But then in that case, why do we not have more affordable housing? Why is it not permanently? And it's all very well saying it's affordable for the first person, but then they sell it and where's the next yeah. lot? You know, you can't keep on building. So I would argue we need to invest in infrastructure to get people get people to the houses we already have instead of having unbelievably expensive and unbelievably unreliable railways and bus services. 
Okay. That was a, a very good attempt to... I, I appreciate you making an attempt to answer an almost impossible question. But, but I like is, the question. Thank you. Um, there is at the moment, there's this huge generation gap as well. If you're So I'm 59 and frankly, I've done rather well out of property just by pure fluke about mm-hmm. being born because I was born in 1964. But for my kids' generation and for people who are younger or a little bit older than them, it's extraordinarily difficult, isn't it? It is. I mean, I would say, yes, you've rode, you've ridden, uh, so I'm a little bit younger than you by about nanosecond. But but, um, by pure pure fluke, we have done very well. But I think there is one misconception in that is it wasn't easy when we were young. So people, you know, didn't get your pay packet on a Friday and go and buy a three-bedroom house, you know, on the way home before you bought your, you know, takeaway. It was really hard. People were earning maybe, you know, really successful people might be earning eight grand a year. And my first flat that I bought at 19 was one and a half bedrooms with an outside loo, no services, and that was 52,000. So I was earning six grand and three of us clubbed together. And, you know, I mean, relatively speaking... That's yeah. still a, easier than now because the timesing it up. And, you know, I recognise, you know, the maths is not that difficult to work out that it's difficult. But what I'm saying is it wasn't super easy. Um, that doesn't make it okay now. No. Um, but I, I do worry now because I think um, the hard thing is, is it, it's sort of fine if your parents happen to be in the right place at the right time because we can hopefully help those children but what concerns me is the people who the gap between the have and have not well, when there is, is so no massive. bank of mum and dad you yes, are you are stopped yeah. so and that's what really worries me and I, i'd like to see um a way of equalizing that but i don't see how we can do that just by building more flats and having schemes here and schemes there in invariably the schemes just mean that the flats are overpriced and then they come back to a normal price so I would like infrastructure to be... That's what I'd really... I'd like to have... And if we'd sorted out buses, cycle paths, which are off-road in the countryside to link one place to another place, Mm. what a great way for farmers to get there. You know, they haven't got their single farm payments, but if you put a cycle path inside the hedgerows connecting one station to another, all of a sudden that's kind of interesting. And so if we invested in cycle paths and trains... I mean, nationalise the trains. Let's be honest, just nationalise the trains. I mean, did I say that? Is but that do, political? Do you remember British Rail, Sarah? Well, I do. know it was actually quite rubbish. <laughs> actually, that is quite true. But we need to... Inv- I go to other countries. They've got trains that run every half an hour and they're, like, really affordable, like, yeah. cheaper than a car. Now yeah. it's cheaper to, you know... We just need to sort out the trains. And don't, you, you've almost got me started on Avanti West. I'm not allowed to talk about them, so I'm not going to mention them. <laughs> don't go on anymore. Uh, right, we're talking to Sarah Beanie. I say we. I don't know why, because it's me and I, and I am talking to Sarah Beanie. And we'll return to uh, the subject of actually, I think we'll do Rise Hall, because that was quite a project. So let's talk about that in a couple of minutes. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sarah Beanie putting the world to rights there during the outbreak. <laughs> I tell you what, I'd vote Beanie. I really would. Uh, Sarah's book is called The Simple Life and it's out today. Now, this is actually about your move to Somerset. So we'll have a word about that in a moment. But Rise Hall is a project that you've undertook in the last couple of years. It's all over the telly. So tell us about this place, which had, I can't believe it's in Yorkshire, over 30 bedrooms. It did, it did. Actually, we bought it uh, when we were quite young. So um, we bought it in our late 20s and we had it for about 20 years. Okay. So it was a long, Brief. long time. Right, okay. But, um, but, but yeah, it had 32 bedrooms, 97 rooms. It was a building at risk, so it was a listed building. So how much did you pay um, for it? Uh, it was, do you know, something awful. I can't quite remember because it was 20-something yeah. years ago, but it was... 420-something or 432 okay, yeah. or something, 400 a bit. Um, and, yeah, it was a very long time ago. But um, but it was a building at risk and it was a building that had no purpose. And and I, Graham and I became really fascinated in, in the crisis of a, a listed building, which... Uh, so this what happened after the war is thousands of stately homes were demolished. And if you think about the... Uh, you know, the Im- impact on the environment of building these houses. You know, it's used a lot of the Earth's resources to build it in the first place. Yeah. Um, and then to, to demolish it because this nanosecond in time, it doesn't quite suit purpose, seems a terrible waste in terms of its carbon footprint apart from anything else. So, so anyway, we were quite fascinated by the fact that some of these homes were in, obviously it's in central London, it would turn into a hotel, but if it's not in an area where it has a purpose, then it just sits there. And the, then the cost of the repair is greater than the value of the building, that w- the value it will ever have. So if you've got a building that's for sale for £10,000, but it's going to cost £4 million to repair and it's only ever going to be worth £20,000, mm. then no one's going to buy it. Yeah. And they can force you to do that and take the money. You know, the council can do that. So, so... As such, you end up with a building at risk. And so Rice was a building at risk. But it was in a slightly better repair than some other buildings we've seen. And, and you and Graham, your husband, you have skills. You're, you're not rank amateurs. No, I mean, at the time we were 28 and 29 and we had a property development company and an investment company for about 10 years by then. So so we had a bit of experience. And we yeah. did understand what we were doing. You know, we'd looked at lots of buildings at risk. And then, you know, we saw Rice Hall and... There was just a moment where, to be honest, someone dared us into it. They said, you'll never do it. And I thought, really? Watch this space. And is it all this before TV took an interest or did the two yeah. things happen at once? No, no, no. This is before telly. And then and then um, telly came along, weirdly, about six months or a year later or something, <clears throat> by which time that was really inconvenient because I was thinking we'll move our whole business up to Yorkshire to where Rice Hall is but telly came along and sort of and I thought well I'll just do it once I'll probably go away won't yeah. it and year after year it would happen I think oh god it's still here we are again here we are so um yeah so then we decided to turn it into a wedding venue Rice Hall which we 
we undertook a major restoration because we had a purpose and a reason for doing it then. So we turned it into a wedding venue and it was really quite successful. And, yeah. Well, you describe it, it sounds a very idyllic existence actually in, in Rise Hall with lots of mates coming and going and your your brother, your yeah. brother, no, hang on, I need to <clears> make this, your brother married your husband's sister. sister. That's right, right. yeah. So there's an incredibly <laughs> tight family unit there. It is. I mean, it is legal, by the way. No, no, I was wearing <laughs> it at all. Although no, it does no, take a little bit of working out. You think, minute, hang on, yeah. is this strictly legal? But yeah, it is. It's it absolutely is. fine. It is. It is. Hear about it. Um, but um, it's, yeah, it made for a lot of fun, if yeah. I'm honest. It made for big well, parties. And... You maintain that you always had clean sheets. Yes, we well, did. Well, do I believe that? In all 32 bedrooms? Yeah, well, I found this. The truth is, that was my luxury, is I found this hotel laundry company and and they we could they pick up the sheets and drop them back clean and iron. So that was I was like it's going to be dirty. There's one bathroom for every one to share, but <laughs> clean sheets. So that made you know that's not so bad, is it? And no. No, no heating, and we had but we had electric blankets. Meanwhile, um, four children, four sons. Later, mm. you have moved to Somerset. Yes, yes, and this is because uh, well, well, we ended up more in London because term and stuff had to commit somewhere and we ended up more in London so we ended up keep we had Rise it was then a wedding venue and then we ended up with a big family home in London and then um, and then many things collided I Graham had always talked about building a house and I sort of ignored him but um and then um and then I realized and he, he meant really, literally building yeah he literally yeah. meant I thought he was just saying you know if you built if we built our own home we'd do this if we built our own home we'd do this and I kind of was like yeah 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 um and I just always assumed that it wasn't completely literal was what he meant and anyway I realized he was literal but then lots of other things happened like um my dad had a stroke and very and education that's what really sent us from London because I was worried about the fact that the the schools we were looking at in London, A, were almost impossible to get into, but also they didn't really celebrate the arts in the way that I considered they should, um, bearing in mind that my husband's an artist yeah. and, and we're in the arts. And I was like, hang on, why is why are you not doing the arts? Anyway, we found a school that was much more arts-focused and, and then Graham was like, should we do it? And then I thought, he's never stopped me doing anything I've wanted to do. Am I going to be the one when he's 95? He says, well, I would have built a house, but my wife wouldn't let me. Oh, Sarah. <gasps> Can you Gosh. imagine being that woman? Mm, I can't. Think I'm, not. No. No, I, really I thought can't. not on my watch. So, yeah, we and, did it. And so the place in Somerset mm. uh, is now the subject of your latest TV project. It certainly is. So we we made a, a series about that and it was a... It, we bought an ex-dairy farm, built a house and and then, then at that point I was like, if we're going to do this, we're going to simplify our lives. So mm. we sold Rice Hall and we sold our home in London and we had a camping field somewhere. We sold that and sold everything. We sold everything and we had various businesses all over the place. All of, We haven't sold all of those, but a lot of things. Sort of a decluttering yeah. on a major scale and ended up down in Somerset, which is fabulous, I'd say. And so um, the breast cancer struck at a time when, well, there's no obviously no good time to get a diagnosis. And I found it very moving in the book because your mum died of cancer, breast cancer, when you were just 10. And you, you write that in there was a part of you that thought you'd been waiting for your own diagnosis for most of your life, which was very sad. Yeah, I mean, there was. I just sort of expected that to happen in a way. And then, Did but, you really expect it to happen? 
Yeah, I mean, I wasn't scared. I just assumed mm. that was going to be the case. You know, it was just... I just thought, right, I've got to fit everything in because because I... You know how a lot of people assume they're going to be around till 90 and so they have time. I was in a terrible hurry because mm. I just thought, well, I may well not make it to 40. So I need to get on. Like, I'm terribly impatient. I was like, come on, we've got to get on with this and do this and, and take every opportunity because it might not come again. And like, quick, have children, have more, more children. That's brilliant. And so you just say yes to everything. So it was a bit of a, when I got to 39, I did ro- have a bit of a rocky year at 39. And when I hit 40, I was a bit like, whoa, I'm still here. Now what do I do? Ooh, that's a bit weird. <laughs> um, and then, so, well, yeah, that was kind of strange. But then, and then at 50, then I was diagnosed with breast cancer. But and then I discovered, which was um, which was kind of weird and cathartic, is that actually a lot of my fears have been, it wasn't based on fact, they were based on fears, not fact. Yeah. And, um, and often very related to something that happened 30 years before, not based on what's happened happens now so um and certainly not what happens in the future what will happen in the future so so it gave me you know basically it was a box with demons in it and I open it I had to open it up and I had to look at the demons and I discovered they were just some worms actually they weren't even demons and and now I feel very well I was very fortunate to have the diagnosis I did and live in the UK with the NHS well and and you're you're full of praise for the treatment you had and by the way you look brilliantly well so um, I'm delighted for you but you also say that there was a chapter that you wanted to write about the NHS indeed you wrote it and you were told not to include it in the (laughs) book now um, does that suggest that you said some quite controversial things there or yeah uh, tell me yeah I mean it was a little bit controversial I mean, there's a, you know, I, I was counselled to take out a lot of my political... I am a little bit opinionated. It's opinionated a thing, by the opinionated, way. Opinionated, not educated. But anyway, that's... Um, but, yeah, I am a little... Um, but I suppose... Uh, I mean, I do... I was counselled to take quite a lot of them out because they can be taken totally out of context, these things. But, I mean, I do fundamentally... The one thing I really would like is I'd like to see a cross-party 20-year solution for the NHS and education and transport um, and the environment because I'm not sure you can fix anything in two years Mm. before you're trying to get in again. You know, Mm. it's just like a... So therefore, the same things happen, nothing changes. So, But I think at the point that all the parties said, okay, we'll make a 20-year plan. You can make a difference in a a generation for the NHS or... You know, there's... being, I'll try and say as little as possible, but I don't think the NHS is short of money. It's short of efficient systems. And there's, it's very sort of paperwork heavy. And if you actually ask most uh, doctors what they do, they spend an enormous amount of time filling in forms and no one reads the forms. So you kind of go, hmm. Anyway, that I probably shouldn't uh, dig a no, hole, I think hole for myself. I, I, listen, you've been through a particular experience and so you have lived that experience. And I do think you are entitled uh, to have your say. And there'll be... Plenty of people listening who agree with you, Sarah. Sarah Beanie, who was uh, the guest on the Times Radio show this afternoon, uh, full of energy and looking terrifically well. So we wish her all the very best. Um, It's interesting, just talking about the NHS, I had an NHS routine eye appointment at the eye hospital this week. And just occasionally it's worth bearing in mind that sometimes things go brilliantly well. It was, the staff couldn't have been friendlier. It was actually, I went in, the waiting room was rammed. I thought, oh God, there was a sign up saying, just to let you know, you could be waiting between two and four hours. 
<sighs> and I thought, well, I'm going to have to ring work. I won't be able to get there. What am I going to do? But I waited about 20 minutes and then it was fine. It was great. And um, everyone was lovely. And just sometimes you just need to acknowledge it. So thank you, NHS. Some things are wrong, but some things go really well, sometimes unexpectedly well. And it's worth noting. I, of course, got an email asking me to comment on the NHS performance. Did you really? Oh, yeah. With the, I mean, this is the other thing. Wow. They, they, can't, they send follow-up emails. They send follow-up emails after even, And this is a very routine eye thing. Uh, and I, actually, but it was good in a way to get that because I was able to fill in everything positive. Yeah. So there you go. I never fill those things in. What service? I mean, when I get sort of ones from, you know, the builders merchants who've just no, delivered I don't, some, I don't fill those you know, some plywood or, no. you know, the movers. How was my delivery? Yeah, no. rate but, my delivery. Well, the reason I did this, I think partly was that um, my mum was an NHS receptionist. And so I always, on my way out, always thank the receptionist because I think that could be my mum. Mm. And, and it was my mum. And um, she worked in a variety of locations in the Liverpool area and sometimes was on the receiving end of, of horrible abuse. Yes. Do you think it's a northern thing as well, though? My friend reckons that the where you can spot a northerner, because obviously we posh up our accents a bit to be understood down here. Totally. It, but we thank the bus driver always. I've stopped doing that. Have you? See how much you've poshed up? Yeah. You've lost your roots. I'm not as kind as I used to be. <laughs> Nowhere near as decent as I appear. Speaking of which, Fee Glover is back <laughs> next week. Oh, that was cheap and unnecessary. And by the way, she's lovely. I enjoyed it though. Yes. Um, she's talking. You, you and I are just out of the picture because next week she's with Annika Rice on Monday, Claire Balding Tuesday and Wednesday, and Annika on Thursday, or is it the other way around? No, I think that was right. That's right, I got it right. Yeah. So that's going to be really interesting. And do not miss Monday, whatever you do, because Giles Brandreth is the guest. It's going to be amazing. And you will be somewhere eating small donuts again in a pool. Back to Arancini Central for me. Yeah, just so... For, just for five days. You, you won't be thinking days. about us here either. I'll tell you what I'm fuming about, the bloody weather here. It's got better. It's getting better. It's, no, it's just not there. Eh. Anyway, I shouldn't be so bitter. Although, why not? Uh, it, uh, <laughs> why stop now? <laughs> yeah, why stop now? It's faintly pleasurable. <laughs> um, I'll be thinking of you all. Um, keep the emails coming. Jane and Fee at times.radio. And I can't say it often enough, we really appreciate the stuff you send in. It's brilliantly written. It's witty. It's thoughtful. And we love reading them. So thank you. Keep them coming. We're bringing the shutters down on another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. But don't forget that you can get another two hours of us every Monday to Thursday afternoon here on Times Radio. We start at 3pm and you can listen for free on your smart speaker. Just shout Play Times Radio at it. Uh, You can also get us on DAB Radio in the car or on the Times Radio app whilst you're out and about being extremely busy. And you can follow all our tosh behind the mic and elsewhere on our Instagram account. Just go onto Insta and search for Jane and Fee and give us a follow. So in other words, we're everywhere, aren't we, Jane? Pretty much everywhere. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Mm-hmm.